should really encourage those of you who are considering membership in our church, want to know more about our church. This is our last membership class of the year. I want to encourage you, if you can, to go on over there, um, check it out, get some lunch, learn about our church. You can get some rides over there at the uh, welcome table. kind of want to give you a heads up of what is going on in my heart and the heart of the elders of this church. We, we are praying for revival in our lives. We're praying for revival in your lives. I mean, I don't know what, what comes to your mind when you think about revival. I don't know if you think about crazy meetings and I don't know what you think, circus. I don't know what you think when you think of revival. But what we mean by revival is getting back to normal. <laughs> Are you with me? Normal. What, what we're supposed to be like as disciples of Jesus. And we hit three areas when we talk about revival. We want to talk about our heads. We want to talk about our hearts. We want to talk about our hands. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want to think right thoughts about God from his word, so we want our mind to think right thoughts, and we also want to be stirred in our hearts. We're asking the power of God to pour out his spirit in such a way where he stirs us up with zeal, with love, and worship for him. So we want this, this mind and this heart thing going on. But too many times you always hear in church, if we could just get the truth from our heads into our hearts, then we'll be okay. But that is not enough, because we also want to use our hands. We want to do something. We want to go out and evangelize and tell the good news of Jesus. We want to go out and show justice and acts of love and mercy. So we're talking about get it from your head to your heart to your hands. And we're asking God to pour out his spirit on us in such a way we'll actually do something. And so that's where we're headed in the new year. So when you come back, know what to expect. That's where we're headed. But what I'm hoping is God will start to stir your heart this morning as we get into his word. So let's look at Proverbs. We're back in Proverbs. Going through a text today, Proverbs 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Proverbs 3. This passage uh, has this familiar refrain that you'll hear over and over again in the opening chapters of Proverbs. And it's on the urgency of acquiring wisdom. It basically says, you need to try to get wisdom as if your life depended upon it. You better seek it out. Because if you don't seek it out, you are going to die. (laughs) It's like it has this urgency, this strong message. You've got to get wisdom. You've got to be urgent about it. I've been watching this HBO miniseries. I've been renting it from the library, and it's on it's on uh, one of America's founding fathers, John Adams. He's the second president of the U.S. and a key leader in the Revolutionary War. And as I'm watching this on John Adams, there's this one episode that is very interesting, and it really shows this urgency. In this episode, he travels from America to France in order to get support from the French to go against the British. For all you history buffs, maybe you know what I'm talking about. So he travels by ship to get over to France from America. And on his trip over there, I mean, he's like sick. He's throwing up. It's seasick. And they encounter another British ship. They have some, some shots fired. It's all dramatic. But he didn't care. He's urgent. 
his, his people are, are being killed, and he needs to get to France to get their help. And so he shows up. This is a great scene. It's a great scene. So he shows up in France, and he's there, and he's ready to meet with the king. He's ready to plead, give us some help. Give us some money. Give us some power. So he shows up, and they're like, oh, welcome. Well, why don't you go in here and get cleaned up? Oh, go ahead and put on some nice clothes and come to a dinner party. And that's what he does day after day. He's urgent. He's ready to meet with the king. He needs help. He needs, he needs money. He needs power. But they, they, the French just want to hang out and have parties and go to operas. And so scene after scene, you see John Adams just pulling out his hair slash wig. He's going crazy because he's urgent to save the lives of those that are they're being attacked. And the, and the French, I'm no joke, they, they, they want to tell jokes, they want to dance, and they want to make out. That's what the French want to do. Now, I'm just wondering, have you come here this morning living your life with the, the urgency of a John Adams? Are you more kind of apathetic like the French? Now, if you're from France, I'm not dogging on you. I'm sure a lot has changed since then, so don't take it personally. But you see where I'm getting at. I don't think that you and I understand how hostile this world is to take us out. And every single one of us has a certain approach to life. And a lot of times we can be pretty apathetic, act like things are no big deal, it's just one big party, when we should be urgent. Urgent in seeking the narrow path of following Jesus and not just kind of lackadaisical on this wide path of destruction. So what is it? Are you living with this urgency, pursuing Christ, pursuing his wisdom? Or are you just kind of like, ah, whatever? Now, I say this every year on this Sunday, because this is often the last Sunday the students are with us, and many of you are with us before you start traveling around. We never see you again to the new year. I say this every year. Some of you, maybe one of you, maybe two of you, maybe three of you, but it's likely that some of you will fall away from following Jesus over the break. You will not enter the new year following Jesus. Something will happen to you over the break, something hostile to attack your faith. You'll get distracted, you'll drift. Come January, I'll never see you again. Happens all the time. Something about breaks takes people out. Now, if you're thinking, man, if I can just crank out finals, if I can just get over this hump and get some space, get a break, and then things are going to be great for me. No. Chances are that your breaks can be a pretty hostile environment. And so I want to encourage you, as you approach it, to be urgent, to cling to Christ, to cling to his word, to cling to his truth, to get his wisdom Because the devil is warring against you to distract you, to throw you off, to get you away from following the Lord. But I just don't want to scare you this morning. So this is not a scare you to death sermon where you're all going to fall away from Jesus over the break. So I'm not just trying to scare you to death. I also want to tell you this. Let's talk about the good things, the positive things, the blessings that can come into your life if you urgently pursue Christ. So not just the terrible things that can happen if you don't, but let's, let's talk positive. What are some of the blessings that will happen to you 
if you run after wisdom and cling to Christ. Like when you're raising our kids, we don't just say, look, man, we don't just try to tell them all the bad stuff that's going to happen to them. Well, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Here's all the bad consequences. No, you've got to say, look, if you follow the rules and you seek the right things, good things will happen to you as well. Blessings will come to you. So this morning, I just want to talk about the bad stuff, but also the blessings that can come to you following the Lord over the break and into the new year and the rest of your life. The blessings of seeking God and his wisdom. So since we're going through these, this huge chunk of text, let me just kind of give you a little structure of where we're going. I'll put it up for you on the screen. You can write it down. I'll put it up several times. We're going to look at the blessings of wisdom for me, the blessings of wisdom for my neighbor through me, and the blessings of wisdom from God. That's where we're going. It's really simple. So let's go ahead and jump in with Proverbs 3. I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read a verse by verse. Start with verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. We've repeatedly given you the definition of wisdom, but for those of you who are just like repetition, let me give it to you again. Wisdom goes like this. It's a God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. And if you remember, I've created hand motions, and um, they go like this. Wisdom is the God-given competence, which means the, the um, wisdom has to come from God, and he gives it to those who fear him. So it comes down from heaven. He gives it to us who fear him, who trust him in his word, and he gives it to us so we will navigate life well. We'll make wise choices. So it comes from him, navigate life well, and then we do it all for the glory of God. So wisdom is the God-given competence that comes down to navigate life well for his glory. And he gives it to those who seek him, who run after him, who are in his word, who are in community, who really want God and his truth. And what it's telling us in Proverbs is that if you get wisdom like that, it's better than the profits you can get from gold. It's more valuable than silver. It's more valuable than jewels and diamonds. In fact, the Bible says if you believe the Bible, that nothing that you desire can compare with her. So just think about what you desire the most in life. Nothing that you desire in this world can compare with her. Not not acing your finals, not getting the right boyfriend, girlfriend, or keeping your family intact, or jobs, or even fitness, (laughs) and not even money is more valuable than her. And it's, it's not a diss on money because money is very valuable in the world. I told my wife a, a couple Sundays ago, I looked at her, I said, Honey, I'll look the other way if you want to buy a lottery ticket. $588 million. I don't know if she did it or not. I doubt she did, but anyway, you can ask her. Because we think, we think money is valuable. It can get stuff. It can buy stuff in the world. We want money, but it's saying, Look, we're not dissing money, but wisdom is far more valuable than money, than stuff. Do you really believe that? And will you search after wisdom with more diligence and urgency than you seek after stuff? A couple weeks ago, it was the Black Friday deals. 
people were standing in line, and we saw some people standing in line outside Best Buy. I'm sure they were trying to get some sweet, big, honking TVs, and they were standing in these lines for hours. And you saw it on TV. Maybe you were part of it in the newspapers that once the doors open, the crowds just rush in like a horde, and they, they get in all this stuff, and they're excited. They get it cheap, and they're urgently trying to get this stuff. And I'm not dogging that, but I'm just wondering. Do we, with the same urgency, seek the face of God? Seek his wisdom and say that his wisdom is more valuable than this stuff. Do you have the same urgency to acquire this valuable wisdom? Because guess what? With regard to God's wisdom, don't have to wait in line. Don't have to wait for a good deal. There's plenty of room for everyone. You can get as much wisdom as you want, as much of him as you want, as much truth as you want. It's open to all. And it's more valuable than the stuff of this earth. I was meeting with a a brother in the Lord this past week, and I I came to the meeting to ask him a lot of wisdom because he walks with the Lord, and he had a lot of wisdom for me. And I remember just asking him question after question after question. He was just pouring out his wisdom from the Word of God upon me. And I left that meeting thinking to myself, you know what? That is more valuable. I can feel it in my soul, more valuable than any stuff on this earth. That's the kind of wisdom we're talking about, this God-given wisdom. Well, look at some of the blessings. Let's look at some of the blessings of getting this wisdom. Verse 16. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, we've seen this before. This wisdom is personified as a woman, and in her right hand is long life. Her left hand is riches and honor. And this is basically a description that if you walk in the wise way of the Lord, generally speaking, you will have long life. It's not saying that there are not exceptions to this, but if you walk in wisdom, we generally will walk and not have our decisions take us out early. But it also says that provision. Riches and honor will come to those who live a life of wisdom. You think about King Solomon. He came to the Lord. He said, you know, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for honor. He just simply asked for wisdom. And so in addition to wisdom, God gave him riches and honor. And for those who follow the Lord, it generally holds to be the case that there will be provision for us and there will be honor from the Lord. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to this at big time. So... What we're getting at here, if you embrace wisdom, you get long life, you get provision, you get peace, you get pleasantness. It's like you're returning to the tree of life in the garden, and you're abundantly blessed by the wisdom of God. And if you notice, once again, look again at verse 18. It says, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are blessed. So the idea is this book is written to a young man, and this young man hopes to one day embrace a woman. And so his dad is saying, look, before you embrace a woman, you need to embrace this woman, this woman wisdom. She's going to make you wise. She's going to keep you from calamity. She's going to give you pleasantness and peace and long life and provision. Embrace her first. Now, none of these blessings denies that this world is not hard or things won't be a struggle. But can I just tell you this, my brothers and sisters? A lot of you are struggling, but a lot of you are struggling because of you. 
you're like working against yourself. Like, why do you do that? I, I do it too. So if life's hard enough, why would we make decisions that harm us and work against us and hinder these blessings? And so what we're trying to get from the Word of God is give us wisdom, God, that we will get these blessings and, and not work against us. That's kind of where he's going. Don't work against yourself. Don't make decisions that harm you. What are you thinking? Don't go there. Get this wisdom. It's valuable. He continues on. He shows us who gives us this wisdom. Look at verse 19 and 20. Look what it says. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So he's saying, look, the Lord has designed creation. He put everything in its right place by his sovereign wisdom. He said, okay, land, you go here. The water be locked off over here and the sky in its proper place. And the argument that this text is trying to make is that if God is the architect and designer of the universe, will you trust him to be the architect and designer of your life? Do you not think that God knows how life works? He made it. So how could you say, God, I'll trust you to hold the planets in place, but I'm not going to trust you to give me wisdom on how to live my life? How is that even possible? How, how, how could we do that? Why would we do that? It's foolish. And yet we do it all the time. This past fall... We've looked at topic after topic after topic after topic for your life. How many of you have heard the word of God on how to raise your kids? We looked straight at the text and you thought to yourself, that's good advice, but I'm going to go my own way. God hung the planets and yet he can't tell you how to raise kids. We've seen how God wants us to interact within our marriage toward our spouses we're like, God, that's good for other marriages, but not for mine. Okay, God, hang the planets, but no, no, no. Don't give me any wisdom for my marriage. Same thing with our emotions. Same thing with our governments. Same things with justice. God, you're the creator, but when it comes to all the details of life, we'll, we'll find out a better plan. And yet the argument is, if he can design all that, he can design your life and give you wisdom. Will you embrace it? Well, continue with some of the blessings. He just keeps going on with these blessings. Verse 21 and 22. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and there will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. So the idea is to seek wisdom, embrace it, and keep it. Did you notice it says, do not lose sight of these? Put it around your neck like it's valuable adornment for your neck. Do not lose sight of wisdom. That means seek it, grab it, and hold on to it. Seek the Lord, get his wisdom, and continue to press into him daily. Continue to want to know him daily. Do not let go of this wisdom. How many of you have consciously decided, you know, I'm going to take the wisdom that I've learned and the relationship I have with the Lord, and I'm going to lose sight of it? Very few of you. Very few of you who have the Holy Spirit living you actually made that decision. You know what? I'm going to just let this wisdom drop to the side. And so if, that's, if you didn't make a conscious decision, the question is, why do you let wisdom go? Why do you make foolish choices? Why do you 
not want to continue to seek the face of God? Why do you hit these periods in your life where you basically just don't want to seek God? Why does that happen? And you can say, well, because of sin. Okay, okay, yes, but let's get real specific. I think one of the greatest problems that we have at this church, I'm sure other churches, but really this church, one of the problems that you and I have, and why we let wisdom go from time to time, is because you get so busy. You're so busted. <laughs> All of you are busted. You get so busy. And so you have a project due and a project due, and you're going crazy. You don't know how you're going to figure out how to do it. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, if I could just have some peace and some pleasantness, I, and I'll, I'll never get this busy again. And, so, and then you finish your projects, and you, and you have some breathing room, and then you have some space. And then what do you do? You start loading up that schedule again, and you start the cycle all over. Some of you are so busy. I don't want to see a show of hands. But how many of you debated whether or not to come this morning? Oh, you're busted again. There's some of you are so busted because you know you got to crank some stuff out. You got a lot going on, and you were, you were waffling. Should I, should I even go? I don't know. I got a lot to do. And that's what happens. This busyness pushes the Lord to the side, pushes his word to the side, pushes community to the side, and we lose sight of wisdom when we should be embracing it. And when we embrace the wisdom, we hold on to it. There are blessings. Finish up with the blessings. One more. Starts in verse 23. It's the blessing of security. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Oh, so this is good. So the idea is if you walk in wisdom, you won't be tripped up by your foolish decisions. You'll sleep. It's going to be peaceful when you go to bed, and you're going to walk around not, not fearing ruin. Now, this doesn't apply to everybody, but there are, there are some of you in here. I don't know who you are. Well, I know who some of you are, but get this. You're afraid of sudden terror. You're afraid of what he calls ruin because you're walking in foolishness and you're, you're afraid that it's eventually going to blow up. Some of you are into some stuff right now that you're scared you're going to get caught. And so when you go to bed, the sleep's not very peaceful. And when you're walking around living your day, in the back of your head, you're wondering, I wonder if I'm going to get busted today. I don't know what you're into, but you have this kind of this dread, this, this uneasiness. You're not, you're not walking securely. You're very insecure because you've got something going on on the side, something kind of secret, and you're just kind of wondering, when am I going to get busted? I think it'd be great for you to bust yourself before you get busted. It's, it's best to confess and to repent willingly rather than, in a sense, being forced to do it because a catastrophe happened. Wouldn't it be great just to go to bed at night and, and have this conscience that just sleeps confidently in the Lord because he is your security? 
Wouldn't it be awesome to sleep like that again? Wouldn't it be awesome just to live your day, do your work, do your schoolwork, and, and not have this fear of being busted, but you have this confidence and peace in the Lord? You can have that again by coming down for forgiveness and grace. And there's going to be consequences because there often is consequences when you have secret stuff going on. But the consequences are far worth the hiding. The hiding's got to stop. So today, may today be a day where you bust yourself and so you can sleep again, have peace again, and have confidence again in the Lord and the Lord alone. Well, that's the blessings for us to seeking the, the, the wisdom of God. There's many more throughout the book of Proverbs. We've, done, we've talked about this many times before. But these blessings are not just to terminate on ourselves. It's not just that we walk the Lord, the Lord blesses us, and we're like, hey, look at me, I'm so blessed, I'm sleeping great, I have all these blessings, and I'm walking with the Lord, it's awesome. No, no, there is a way, as we walk the Lord, it's supposed to bless other people. We get the wisdom, not just to hoard it in ourselves, but it changes us, and as we're changed inwardly, we bless other people. So let's look at the, the next part. I'm going to put that structure up again. Let's look at the blessings of wisdom for my neighbor through me. Look at verse 27. We'll go ahead and read on down to 32. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to do it. And do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I'll give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Now, we don't have time to dive deep into all this, but part of the way that you bless other people is that you do them no harm. As God wisdom comes into you, you walk in the ways of pleasantness, in these paths of peace that extend out to your neighbor, and you do not create evil against your neighbor. But we're not just here to not harm people. Wouldn't it be great if Christianity was do no harm to anyone, and it just kind of stopped at that? You don't have to do good for anybody. <laughs> just don't hurt anybody. No, that's not where we're at. Christianity is like, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm also going to do something good for you. Let's see that. Look again at verse 27. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Hmm. So the idea here is that something is due to someone from you. So there's this lack on their part, and you have the supply that they need. And it I want you to notice here, it says, and you have the power to do it. Do, do I need to talk to you about who your neighbor is, by the way? Do we need to go into that whole um, discussion of the Good Samaritan? We don't need to do that, right? You, you know we're not just saying those who live next to you, and we know we're not just saying those who you like. We're saying your neighbor can be anybody locally, globally, who's in need, and you have the power to do something for them. They deserve something from you. I love the terminology there. It's do them. It's owed to them from you, and you have the power to do it. So you're not to put it off. You're to do it right away. Do good to those who deserve it. And that's the way the blessings spill from you over to others. In a few hours from now, I am going to leave for Haiti. I'm going to be there for about 48 hours. 
a group from our church this past spring, um, about 15 of them, went down to Haiti. And the point of their trip, it was a vision trip, where they were looking at different ways of doing orphan ministry and orphan care. And it was, it was, it was, they, they just saw some different models. And one of the models that they locked in on was this place called His Home. It was very, they were doing some pretty good creative work, and they were telling me about it. And I was, I was getting excited about what I was hearing coming out of this one place. And I, don't, I, I can't explain it all, but I really felt, it's okay to feel, I felt the Lord leading me to just go. I don't know all the reasons why. I just know I'm getting on a plane, and I am going to Haiti, and I'm not going for a vacation. <laughs> so I'm going to get on this plane. I'm going to go to Haiti, and when I'm walking around there, driving around there, chances are that there will be needs. For those of you who've been there, you know what I'm talking about. There's going to be needs. Now, here's the deal. What am I supposed to do? Well, God in his word is calling me, hey, act when it is in your power to do it. Act where it is in your power to do it. There tends to be two reasons why people do not act with justice and mercy. One is you just don't care. Maybe some of you just don't care about helping people. The second is we get so overwhelmed with the need that we get paralyzed and we do nothing. That's not good either, because either way, you do nothing. But you have some power and money, time, resources that God has given you, God's power, and you can act. So where are you going to act? Maybe not. God's not even calling you to go to Haiti. That's fine. What are you going to do locally? Where is it you have power and ability to act for the good of the neighbor? Is there kids you can tutor here? Are there seniors that are shut in that you can go visit? Yeah, you get that? But there's, there's ways that we can act. And I believe that many of you have such great capacity, great power and skills and time and money and ability, and you're like, hoarding it for yourselves and your dreams and your goals and your visions. But the word's pretty clear. If you see your neighbor in need, they'll do something from you when it is in your power to act. So don't just hoard the wisdom and the blessings to yourself. But don't feel guilty about all the needs of the world. Where you can act within your power to do it, do it and do not delay. Well, the last point we're going here, I'm going to put it up, is the blessing of wisdom and the Lord. Finish up with verses 33 and 35. It says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Oh, it's very clear that the wisdom obviously comes from above. It comes from our Lord, and he, he blesses us. It says that he blesses the righteous and the humble and the wise. Did you catch that? 
It's, it's, the, it's the humble that are blessed, the righteous who are blessed, the wise that are blessed. They receive the blessings of the Lord. They receive his favor, and they receive honor. That's what we want, every single person in here. We want God. We want him to honor us. We want his favor and his grace. We want his blessings. There's not a person in here who would doubt that's not what you want from God. And yet it seems to be conditioned upon humility, righteousness, and wise living. And so we all want these blessings, but our lives kind of fall short of that. Our lives are often a bust. We're fallen. We're sinful. But I'm just wondering, if someone could come along and live perfectly wise and righteous and humble, would that person indeed get the blessings of the Lord, the honor of the Lord? What do you think? All right, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. It's Christmas time. You know that, right? It's Christmas time. We're talking about Jesus. He came to this earth, and he was born, and he lived this life, no joke, that was perfectly righteous. Jesus never sinned. And so according to these verses, that, that righteous person is supposed to get the blessing from the Lord. Does that hold true? Let's think about Jesus. He was considered a curse. He was considered a curse as he hung on the tree of the cross, as God's wrath was upon him. He experienced the wrath of God in the place of sinners because of us. He didn't get the blessings, and yet he lived perfectly. Well, what about the next part? Well, the next part says that to the humble, he gives favor. Can you think of anybody on this earth who's ever been more humble than Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. He embodied humility. But instead of receiving God's favor, he was abandoned on the cross. God, he said, why have you forsaken me? And while he was there, the scorn that was heaped upon him by sinners was amazing. Well, what about wisdom? Those who are wiser to inherit honor. Jesus is the wisest person to ever live. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And yet... Jesus, the wisest one ever, didn't get honor, but he was disgraced on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. I hope you understand where I'm going with this. If the blessings of God did not come upon the most perfectly righteous, humble, and wise one, then how can we expect the blessings of God to come upon us. He did it all right. He didn't get any of those blessings. And we're doing almost all of it wrong. And we're expecting those blessings. How does that work? What's the answer to that, that issue, that struggle? What, what do you say about that? Well, it goes a little something like this. The blessings did eventually come to Jesus, and the blessings will come to us now and forever for those of us who have faith in Jesus. Yeah, it's true. He bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners, but the reality is he was vindicated as his resurrection, and he received the blessings of God and power who raised him. So not only is he blessed, but his blessings trickle down 
to those who put their faith in him. We get his righteousness. We get forgiven. We get grace and access to the Father. And yes, Jesus was humbled and he was tortured on the cross. But once again, he was raised in power. And what happened? Truth says that since he's raised, he's all to the right hand of the Father. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those who put their faith in Jesus humbly confess their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ are also the ones who are honored. And then lastly, the inheritance. This inheritance of honor. He was disgraced on the cross, but he was raised in power. And for those who put their faith in Christ will be accepted and embraced forever. I hope you kind of understand where I'm going with this. To, to sum it up, through faith in Christ, we receive God's ultimate blessing, his ultimate favor, and his ultimate honor as his beloved children. So don't think, man, if I could just live righteous enough, wise enough, humble enough, then maybe God might bless me. And the point I'm trying to make is you have one who lived righteous enough, perfect enough, humble enough. And he was honored and blessed through his life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. And as you put your faith in him, God's blessings will come to you now and forever. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. So my brothers and sisters, here we go. The break is coming up. For some of you, you're thinking, I ain't getting no break. Some of you will get a break somewhere along the way. Don't pack it. Give yourself some room. Give yourself some room. Maybe to deal with some issues in your life. Spend some time in prayer. Do some journaling. Get some life goals as you come into the new year of seeking the Lord. And as you come back here in January, just know that we're trying to encourage you to be revived by the power of God. Because I know some of you are tired, you're numb, you're worn out, you, you just have no zeal for the Lord anymore. What we're going to do come March is something we've done four years ago called Prelude to Revival at our church. It's a week-long thing. We have like 14 or 12, 14 sermons, something like that. And we do a lot of praying, a lot of worshiping. But it's not just about a revival week. It's what we call it prelude to revival. Like, Lord, we just want to be open to you. And we want to hit it almost every day. And also hit it every Sunday leading up to that week. And say, okay, God, what do you want to do in our lives? What do you want to do with me? Forgive me, cleanse me, whatever you want to do. And we're talking about so many different issues. And say, God, revive us. Bring revival to us. Stir us up to think right thoughts, to have heart affection for you, and to go out with our hands and change the world. But don't wait for January. That starts now. You can humbly seek the face of God and His wisdom now. You can impact others now. You don't even have to do seasonal charity. In fact, don't even do anything charity-wise over Christmas because you want your life to be about serving your neighbor, not just seasonal charity. And press into Jesus, for he is the only one that can get you the favor and the honor from the Lord. May you press into his gospel and his truth today. And may we cry out to God together, God, revive your people. Stir us up 
to the biblical norms of worshiping and loving and serving you. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would so pour out your spirit in such a way we, we urgently burn with a white, hot passion for the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone in here hiding and fearing ruin and having sleepless nights because of something they're into, may you bring them to confession, to repentance and forgiveness this morning. And Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to use the power that you've given them, your power, to serve their neighbor, a call you may have been given to them, may they think by your grace over the next few weeks on how to come that to fruition rather than just thinking of seasonal charity to think in lifelong change. And Lord, we want your honor. We want your favor. We want your grace. We want your blessing. We're not perfect people, but Jesus is. And we receive your favor through faith in him. We press into the gospel of Christ. We press in to your son. We draw near to you through him. And we ask that you would bless us over this break. And may none of us fall away. May all of us come into the new year following Jesus. Hold us secure, Lord. Hold us secure, which you always do. And may we not be foolish. May we not get distracted. May we not be busy. Let me rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.